Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Katie and Me podcast. I'm Katie, and I am here with my friend Chris, and we are going to learn some things today, and we're, I'm really excited because we're going to find out what social workers wish we all knew. Hey, Katie. So, hey, Chris. How's it going? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited about this episode as well. Already up to episode six, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. We're still on the air. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> Well, good, good. And and who do we have to thank today for that? Today's episode is sponsored by the CoLab Group. The CoLab Group is a niche consulting company focused on providing business growth, messaging, communication, and improvement consulting services for startup and small business organizations. Their services include business development and marketing, food and agricultural messaging and strategic communication, and social media and email campaign development and management. If you're interested in learning more, please visit them at thecolabgroup.net. So Katie, before we jump in today, we are going to learn about, I believe, B Corps from yes. you. Is that something that you're going to talk about? That is something I'm going to talk about. And usually business is your realm. I know. So I'm excited. I'm excited to hear what you have to say about this and what your, I guess, tie to B Corps is. And then uh, I'll talk a little bit about something business related once you're done. Oh, great. Okay, good. I like it when things kind of Yeah, synergize. we can kind of mesh together. It's almost, like <laughs> right. we, it's almost like we planned it. Yeah. So I, for all of my capitalist background, have an activist strain that runs through my purchasing and my retirement accounts and everything. Uh -huh. else. So I've learned to be kind of cognizant of what I'm supporting with my capital. Sure. When there's capital, right? We're grateful when there is capital to be cognizant <laughs> <Exactly>. of. <laughs> so I am... Um, I think we're all familiar with what we would call C-Corps, which are like regular corporations, right? Mm -hmm. And occasionally you'll hear in the news about how the responsibility of a C-Corp is to their shareholders. Make money for your shareholders. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's used to um, have a kind of ends justify the means attitude. Right. And I find that a little frustrating. But I also know that there are companies out there who align a little bit with my personal values and they have the ability to be more flexible and they're held accountable to more than just shareholders. Mm -hmm. And so those are normally called B Corps. And a B Corp is a company that has gotten certified by something called B Lab, which is an international group. It's a third-party certification. And okay. a B Corp is not only responsible to their shareholders, but also to their stakeholders. And we're stakeholders. Okay. The environment is a stakeholder. Everything that is affected by the actions of the company can be considered a stakeholder. And so this gives them the ability to do good things in the world in addition to providing capital for shareholders. Okay. You probably have kind of an inclination about this and you may not realize it, but you know there's a difference between purchasing from um, like Patagonia mm -hmm. right. and I don't know the name of many clothing brands, sure. obviously. If you ever see me, I'm wearing one of three things. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but from some other, say, um, maybe Gap, which uh -huh. would be a C-Corp, right? Sure. Interestingly, under Gap, there are some B-Corps. Athleta is one, I believe. It's been a while since I've checked, folks. But so B-Corps are 
companies that that are able to and and required, in fact, by their certification to care about the environment and to care about the well-being of of the public, the public good, as okay. it were. Gotcha. All right. So they may promote certain practices. They may do things that could be done to a greater profit, but they violate an ethical standard. Okay. And so they aren't done that way. Gotcha. And I'm a huge fan. I use apps and research before I purchase things to find out who qualifies and who is certified B Corp. And what I can direct you to, in addition to um, details about what each company does and looking them up individually, is that when you purchase things, you'll actually see a label with a letter B. This is certified and then a large B, B Corp. And those are companies that have answered, it's like four or 500 questions and so there's a, there's a pretty significant process that companies go through. Yes, okay. absolutely. And, you know, you can always get on your favorite web browser and sure. look a company up and see if they align with your personal values. And as we look at our political environment and we look at our actual physical environment, our mm-hmm. water and air quality and things, I think that being cognizant consumers is getting more and more critical at this moment. So I would encourage you guys to go out and, and decide, you know, maybe some of the things you purchase, you want to look up who you're buying it from and see if they meet these standards for a B Corp and maybe redirect some of your funds. I am a big proponent of buying less, but buying better. Sure. So that's, that's what I'm going to awesome. leave you with today is find something in your life that you know you're going to purchase and try and purchase better. Did you know, Katie, that B Corp actually stands for Benefit Corporation? Benefit Corporation, yeah. yes. I think that there is a slight difference. I think a B Corp certification through B Lab is that third-party certification. Mm-hmm. But a benefit corporation is the maybe tax status, like okay. the, the the legal status of the corporation. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, so I know there's there's C-Corps, there's benefit corporations, and there's also uh, S-Corps, right, which right. has a different tax structure mm-hmm. on payout. Yeah, but but benefit corp is a nice way to remember it, too, sure. is that there's a broader public benefit to their behavior. Yeah, and one company that I was researching for this that I assumed was uh, was Ben & Jerry's. And if you're not familiar with Ben & Jerry's, it's a ice cream company out of New England. And I in 90, 1994, 93, I think, uh, I taken a business ethics class Mm -hmm. in college. And one of the kind of white papers or companies that we studied was Ben and Jerry's, who was notorious for paying more for their ingredients because they would use local or, uh, you know, smaller farmers or or whatever. And so there was this question of is it okay for a company to do that? Is it ethical by business standards for a company to spend more than what the market demands mm-hmm. in the name of, I guess, you know, checking a, a box that, that that they felt passionate about? And so, as you can imagine, there was some very vigorous conversations about that. So you had, yeah, you know, the pure business person and the pure business capitalist in that class. And then you had me that is uh, probably a capitalist with a social heart. Um, mm-hmm. And so there were some really good discussions about it. So I'm not surprised that that Ben & Jerry's is a B Corp, but they're probably, uh, they've 
they've been around, I think, since 88, so 1988. And I think that they're like one of the first companies that really kind of put a social mission uh, right. attached to their to their product. So that's cool. It's a little bit more about B Corps than I had known and before this. And now I want ice cream. Thank I you. I know, right? Thank that's you what I'm that. here for is to uh, – <laughs> we talk a lot about food on this show. So. <laughs> well, it's my – yeah, that's my lane. <laughs> right. And, yeah, and you're good at it. So, well, I appreciate that, Katie. That, that was awesome. Keeping on the topic of business – I'm going to talk a little bit about a business trip I made in 2013 when I went to India. Yum. Yeah. So (laughs) I was, I worked for a company that was an education institution and we were, we were expanding our portfolio to partner with some international institutions, uh, namely in India and South Africa with the particularly around our hospitality programs that we had. We had a culinary academy and then some hospitality restaurant management degrees. Mm -hmm. And I had the pleasure of getting to go to India for about two weeks with my boss, who had only just joined the institution probably two months beforehand. Uh, And he had a really significant international track record and brokering these kind of deals for a long time, but he wasn't as familiar with all of our products because he had just kind of come on board. So it was he and I, and I was going to get to be the point person on all these all these presentations and meeting with these different institutions to try and come up with a collaborative opportunity for their students to come and finish their degrees and earn a bachelor's degree in the mm-hmm. United States. Uh, and we were also looking at trying to maybe do some online stuff as well. Uh, so we were fortunate. We got to visit Mumbai, uh, Delhi, and New Delhi in our time there. And we met with three or four different institutions of, of higher learning or higher education in India. And the first thing that really jumped out at me there was, well, two things. One, you can't really describe the number of people, just the mass of humanity until you're there. I've it, heard that from other people yeah, too. It's, it's, uh, I, I prepared myself because I wanted to be as – I wanted to be as respectful as possible mm-hmm. when I went there yeah. and have a full understanding of their business practices and their cultures and really kind of like engross myself in the experience because I didn't really think I'd be, you know, having the opportunity to, to hop back over to India again anytime soon. It is a mass of humanity when you get in the airport, it's there's just people everywhere, mm-hmm. and, and it, it's a little bit it's a little bit overwhelming if you're not prepared for it. But that being said, I could not get over how hospitable everybody was. Everyone we dealt with was so incredibly accommodating, so proud of their heritage, so proud of their family. Family is so important in India. It's not uncommon to have, you know, extended families living together to include grandparents and great grandparents. Uh, And that's kind of the accepted norm, which you'll see that in in some some parts of the United States, but it's almost like standard practice there, Mm -hmm. uh, no matter if you're in northern India or, or southern India. That was pretty cool to be able to sit down and before we even would discuss business, we would discuss our families. And again, I'd prepared myself and, and known that before we went over there. That was a challenge for me, not because I don't like talking about my family, um, but because <laughs> I just am very laser focused and sometimes mm-hmm. just jump right into, well, we're here to talk about business, so let's get into that. And so I had to really kind of train myself to make sure that I was asking about each of their family members and 
over the course of two weeks, we were with some of the same people. And just because we had talked about their family on Monday, Tuesday, you're still saying, hey, how was your family? Did you have a good evening last night with your family? And so by the end, I was, you know, I was really comfortable with that. But it took me, took me a day or two you're to kind of get- You're still really good at that. <laughs> to, yeah. get, to get into that rhythm of- you know, inquiring about family and family was always first. So that was mm-hmm. so that was something that was that was really cool. The biggest, I guess, challenge that I faced there from a business perspective is that because most of the folks that we dealt with were so hospitable, they had a tendency to never wanting to say no to anything. So when I All was tr- grandmother. Yeah, right. <laughs> so when I was trying to pitch potential business deals you know, I thought I was doing really well. Like everyone's just like, yeah, this sounds great. We can't wait to do this. This sounds fantastic. And I'm feeling, this is fantastic. Like I'm showing off to my new boss. He's (laughs) like, look at Hutch go. He's closing all these deals. And so, you know, towards the end of the trip, we hadn't heard a single no yet. And I'm like, we're going to go back with three or four deals. This is fantastic. And he kind of sat down with me. We had a little bit of a debriefing. He's like, listen, this trip has gone fantastic. But I want you to take things with a grain of salt. <laughs> Here's why. You know, we're we're here. We represent an amazing opportunity. Typically, in these dealings, very rarely are they going to say no from the outset. So although you've done great, I think we will be really happy if we get one of these deals and not all four, as you so confidently think <laughs> that we are going to get. And so that was a little bit of a kick to the Wait, ego. Wait, did you get any of them? We did. We Yay. did. Yeah, yeah. But um, – but yeah, so you know, here I was thinking I was this international business liaison, right. just like crushing it, and uh, I had to come back to earth a little bit. But you know, that was very interesting because in my dealings, uh, particularly, I, I was a uh, I was in outside sales for a number of years. I heard no twenty times a day. So oh, there, yeah. th- culturally, there's no issue in this country of saying no. And so that was, I guess, kind of what I was expecting, you know, having uh, been in sales uh, is I hear no 20, 30, 40 times a day. So when these people are saying anything but no and that they're excited about it, I was like, oh man, I must be a much better salesperson than I thought. So that that was really interesting. And we'll talk a little bit more in our VIP episode that's on Patreon. About, oh, that means there's good stories. Yeah, about some of the challenges <laughs> I had with diet there um, and food. To those that know me, yeah, I, I struggled a little bit in, in that department. But what I was really struck by was, again, how hospitable the people were, but also how excited and how passionate the Indians that I met were about improving the lives of their friends and family, and just the overall infrastructure of their country. So we had a number of conversations, uh, just like if they could improve their overall infrastructure in the country by 10 or 15%, mm-hmm. the outputs would be incredible. Mm-hmm. It's just, to put it in perspective, we had a meeting one day uh, with a university that was eight miles from our hotel. And uh, this was in, I think it was in Mumbai, which is a fairly large city. And I assumed, okay, well, that'll take us, you know, 30, 40 minutes tops. Just because of infrastructure challenges and a lack of highway systems, it was a two and a half hour trip. Oh, man. Yeah. So, and that was normal. It wasn't like there was a car accident or something. I mean, that was just the normal kind of commute. So you can imagine the number of people that are trying to travel on 
really essentially like a one lane road oh, each I have way. A story about that too. Um, yeah. So yeah, that that was incredible. So we had a meeting at let's just say it was eleven a.m. and we were going to leave at 7 a.m. I said, why are we leaving this early? This is ridiculous. I want to sleep in. And oh, two and a half hours later, I'm like, oh, that's why we left <laughs> because it took us two and a half hours to go eight miles. So um, so I will put a, a, put a wrap on my uh, India business trip. But I thought that it was interesting to kind of hear you talk about B Corps and then uh, throw in a little bit of international business and my, my experiences over there as well. So lastly, I think we're going to talk about what social workers wish we all knew about their jobs. Katie, I think you maybe had some initial thoughts on that. Yeah, I didn't realize I knew so many social workers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of did, but I kind of didn't. And, you know, I was struck the consistency through all the feedback was yeah. just like dripping with kindness and compassion, mm -hmm. which somehow made me feel better about the world. Just like because every – group of people that has to work with other people gets burnout. Right? Sure. I mean, we see it in healthcare and we see it in teaching and we see it in social work. And yet the fact that these people are still just so kind mm -hmm. is like what they're putting out there out front. No one's initial response was one of burnout or bitterness. Mm. Everyone was concerned about what the people seeking their services understood about what they do, not just the general public. And I thought that was just really wonderful. And, and yeah, that's encouraging. Yeah, it really was. And so, I mean, I did get, I got some funny responses. Like, um, I wish people understood I can't pull things like housing out of my butt. Right. So I thought that was funny. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, no one's ever asked me to pull that out. Yeah, right. But, um, and I also heard that I'm not a fixer. There are limits to what I can do. And it really does take a village mm -hmm. that we have to... You know, the job is to find and deal with the underlying reasons, and that takes a lot of time. That takes resources. Heard about budget constraints mm -hmm. being a major limiting factor. And, sure. You know, and that's a reality for everyone. But I think in particular when problems sometimes are arising or the result of poverty and the people trying to help also have tight budgets. Yeah. You know, you kind of get hit with a double whammy there in that regard. One of the women that responded is a friend of mine from school who was just really, really willing to put herself out there. But she's been working in this area for a long time. And, you know, she talked about how she doesn't have all the answers for everyone. Mm -hmm. And she brought up the stigma attached to needing social services of any kind. Mm -hmm. And I think her heart broke a little in that regard, that there's such a stigma. And she said part of her job is that she needs to deal with how that stigma impacts the families that she's working with and how it isolates them right. from the help that they need, from in their community where they live, and in the lives that they you know, are destined to have. She, she was worried about that. And if you're capable of feeling shame, mm -hmm. then the idea of being stigmatized for a bad period, a bad time, sometimes a bad decision, a circumstance that you have maybe no control over, right. the idea of being stigmatized for that is really, you know, like triggers a lot of empathy in me. Sure. So she also talked about trauma. Mm -hmm. She works with people who have experienced major traumas, and that's part of the situation, depression. Does she work with Kids or families or both? She, she is not a um, – this particular friend of mine is not a child welfare gotcha. worker. And 
one of the things she pointed out is people need to understand that what I do isn't child welfare. I am not the one who is coming to your door who has to take your kids. Yeah. But then she addressed that there are people in that position and they're there out of love. And it's not, you know, if they have to remove the children from the home, from homes. It's because it's gotten to that point it, yeah, where, and, where they're still, you know, they're putting the child's best interest. Right. Yeah, the, they're there for the top good motivation as well. And they're not necessarily in a position where they're they have negative thoughts about you mm-hmm. because they understand the reality of this. Now, one of the things that struck me, and I'm really glad I heard, was that this happens across the socioeconomic spectrum. The need for social services of some fashion or another happens across the socioeconomic mm-hmm. spectrum. And I was in a meeting this week talking about the high and the most affluent places in the state talking about there's high overdose and um, suicide rates, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, These are places that have very low actual poverty numbers, but the stress level is high. And well, we talked about in a recent episode that doctors had an incredibly high suicide rate. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. I mean, there's there's that. There's uh, when I talked about my go into therapy and, you know, you mentioned that this there's sometimes this stigma attached with social services. I think we're getting better, but there used to be a stigma attached with people saying that they were seeing a therapist as well. So I think mm-hmm. some of these themes that you're hitting on have kind of woven in through some of our, our previous episodes that we've mm-hmm. talked about as well. Did any of the social workers you talked to talk about what everyday people like you and I could maybe do to try and help or bring light to to anything in particular? Did any of that come up at all? They talked about how we need to have compassion for the people who are being served. Mm-hmm. And I think that isn't just sitting in my car crying when I hear a story right. on StoryCorps. I think that is also treating people with dignity and respect who are who are in that situation. Yeah. I think that's a really big thing. She said, I wish people took the time to see the people we serve for who they are. They're people. Some have addictions or mental illnesses or trauma, and those things don't define you any more than your academic skills or your athletic ability, your income level, or anything else. Mm -hmm. We like to see them as definers when they're positive. Sure. But not when when they're negative negative for ourselves. And yet we tend to reverse that with other people. A lot Mm -hmm. of times we will define other people by that when they're not part of our immediate circle. They're not our our people that we're defending. You know what I mean? They're not in our in-group. Right. They're not in our in-group. I was trying to avoid throwing (laughs) that back out there. You know, but it's true. And and we see this in economics. Just we tend to think that when things are going well for us economically, we've earned it and we deserve it. And when they aren't. Or, you know, I really like you and they aren't going well. Well, it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. And yet when we don't feel any relationship with someone, we're very quick to see everything as some kind of meritocracy. You know, like this pure meritocracy where if you're having a bad time, then karma or the, you know, God or the economy has deemed that is your lot because you've earned that too. And that's really inappropriate. Anyway. I'm, no, I'm, I you had mentioned that one of your friends had sent you like three or four pages of, of content. Uh, we're mm-hmm. not going to be able to get to all of that. No, <laughs> no, um, no. But I hope that we're all getting a better picture. Sure. You know, the other thing is social workers typically don't make very much money themselves. Right. Yeah. And they have a very difficult job that a lot of us probably couldn't handle. Right. I will admit, I don't think I could handle it. I As I get older, I'm getting more driven by, by just – overloads of empathy and mm-hmm. tears and mm-hmm. I don't think I could handle <laughs> those situations like I you know when you were talking about going to the concentration camp mm-hmm. in, a, in another episode yeah. and I thought I 
I don't think I could physically, I think I would collapse under the reality of that. So there's other places in society where I can serve, but I'm really floored. And and so it's good that we have people like that that are that oh, are wired absolutely. to be able to do that because absolutely. not everybody is. Um, yeah. And, um, and, and I was glad to hear that you mentioned that the people that responded to you, so many of them still have that that compassion and that drive. And and mm-hmm. you said something about it wasn't rooted in in bitterness or uh, burnout. Yeah, I think. they weren't burnout. It, it seemed like even though they'd been doing this for 20 plus years, they didn't come off as burnout. They yeah. came off as people who were still, and they probably are on some level, but they came off as people whose primary concern is still the people they're serving in our society as a whole. So, That's you know, they news. also said, they also said, and this isn't a surprise. We've seen this in so many industries that are high stress, but the work is really difficult and people entering the field need to be prepared. They need to emotionally prepare. They need to be prepared to somehow take care of themselves mm-hmm. in this process. So I'm sure that that is part of why these some of these people are still able to continue doing it. Well, that's fascinating, Katie. Thanks for sharing that. If you have interest in discussing more about uh, social workers or anything that we covered today, feel free to reach us on Twitter at Katie and Me Pod or our Instagram at Katie and Me Podcast, or feel free to either to email either Katie or myself at Chris at Katie dot com or Katie at Katie dot com. And Katie is always K A T Y. You know, I think maybe revisiting social workers just because of the volume of information that you had might be an opportunity for us to do a featured episode on that and spend a little bit more time on that. If that's something that our listeners are interested in, if they want to visit the KDME podcast on Patreon and become a patron of the show, um, we may be able to round up enough funds that we could then do another featured episode on social workers in the future. So if that's something that you're interested in, please consider becoming a patron of the show. Uh, anything else that you have, Katie? I love when people give us feedback and want to share what they want people to know about their industry, their profession, their passion. So, yeah, whatever you do, next time you catch yourself going, ah, I wish people knew this, then let us tell them. Yeah, let us know and we'll get it on the air. All right. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Katie.